Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Well, good morning, Hope Brooklyn. Uh, My name is Greg, if we don't already know each other. Uh, If we do, usually you see me hosting, but today I am so excited uh, to be bringing the word to you this morning. Uh, If you are part of the Hope Brooklyn family, then you know we are in the middle, literally in the middle of a three-part series that Ryan started last week. And I'm so excited to be speaking to you guys this morning from a topic that I think is so important. Um, I think that when we hear about it today, we're all gonna grow together, we're gonna learn a little bit, and so I'm so excited to speak about it. We're in the middle of a series entitled Prophet, Priest, and Kings, Jesus and the Mission of the Church. And today I've been tasked to speak to you guys about the church as an intercessor. When I was younger and I was in church, I did not know what it meant to be an intercessor or what it meant to intercede. I thought it was a really high title. And then as I grew in my faith and, and grew as a young man, I learned that to intercede simply meant to pray. Um, actually, it means a person who intervenes, usually on behalf of another, especially by prayer. Um, and some similar words that you might think of when you hear the word intercede uh, could be negotiator, uh, peacemaker, or even petitioner. Um, I like to think of myself uh, as a kid when my brother would be in trouble all the time. Usually to our parents, I was the peacemaker, the negotiator, and his petitioner so that he would not get spanked. But when we use that word intercede or to be intercessors, we want to think about our brothers and sisters in Christ and in the faith or even in this world and the people we want to stand in the gap for. So I want to speak to you guys about four important things regarding the church and our role as intercessors today. But first, I want to start by reading you two passages from God's word. If you have your Bibles with you as you watch online, I want you to turn to Isaiah 54 uh, verse 5. And it says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. And then I want you to quickly turn all the way to the end of your Bible in the book of Revelation. Uh, Turn to your neighbor and let them know there's only one Revelation. (laughs) Saints, we say Revelations a bunch, but it's the book of Revelation, just one of them John had. And if you turn to chapter 21, verse 2, it says, And I saw the holy city, and this is uh, John speaking of a vision he saw, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Let's pray, Hope Brooklyn. God, I thank you uh, that you have made us a bride, uh, that you have redeemed us as your church. And though you have gone from the earth for a while in your physical presence, God, you will return for us. Um, And your word says that we will be spotless when you come to get us. And so again, we thank you, Lord, that you will call us into union with you. Um, And we just ask that you would speak today, speak to us about what it means to be your bride, to be the church, uh, the intercessors for those around us and in the world with us. Uh, We thank you and it's in your name, Jesus, we pray, amen. Guys, I want to talk to you about something that revolutionized my life, uh, my dating life when I was dating, and also my marriage. You've probably already heard of it, and it's called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. If you have attended any kind of premarital course or any counseling with someone regarding a relationship you've been in or a marriage that you're currently in, I'm pretty sure uh, that the person conducting that meeting mentioned to you, you got to read this book. It's called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, and if you have not heard of this book and what it's about. Essentially, uh, this guy Gary Chapman 
wrote this book and he says that you typically will use these five languages to uh, express your commitment to the person that you're in relationship with. And he describes that the five languages are, are the acts of service, gifts, words of affirmation, physical touch or quality time. Um, he also explains that usually a few of those will tick your boxes. That usually you want to be spoken to in any five of these languages. It could be two or three, maybe four, for some of us all five. But I know uh, that in the book, one part that I really remembered is that he said there's one part, one language that you will, of, above all those things, specifically like to be uh, expressed to in this way. For myself, it's physical touch. Um, and I think that might be the same for a lot of men who are watching uh, this sermon or who might read that book but for my wife um, her love language of choice is quality time and if I could speak to Mr. Chapman one day I would ask him why he did not include a sixth love language and then I will pitch him a book idea and, and allow me to write it because I believe uh, or at least as it pertains to my, my marriage that the sixth love language is TikTok um, and I'm not sure where you were in 2020 for the pandemic, um, but I think that any time after June, July, you would have found me on the social media app, TikTok. And maybe you can relate to that. And if you can't, we're gonna pray at the end of the service and we'll include you. But myself and my wife, we are addicted to TikTok. Um, so much so that it has become our love language. My wife, as I mentioned before, uh, her love language is quality time, and mine is physical, physical touch. And so TikTok has united those two languages because when our kids are asleep, we're found on the couch and the quality time is there because we're both scrolling and I usually have one leg just over her somehow and there goes your physical touch and TikTok is the sixth language that has brought my wife and I together. It's strengthened our marriage and it's become a language that we speak every day. Um, one of my favorite moments is when I'm dropping my daughter off at school and my wife is home with the twin boys. We're still sending each other TikToks as we're going about our, our separate days and when we come together, we review the TikToks that we sent you. It's, it's a whole ordeal. And what I'm getting at is that there is a, such an importance on the way that you communicate this, the, 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 the specified and the assigned language between you and the person that you're in union with. My wife and I have figured that out. And I say TikTok jokingly, but the truth is, it's really just communication. It's something that we've decided, uh, or a way that we've decided that we want to connect every single day. Next year, maybe a different app, or a different game, or a different thing that might uh, cause us to want to be with each other, and speak to one another, and be vulnerable, and laugh, and love, and all those things. But what's most important is we have assigned a language to our union. And it leads me to my first point as it pertains to us being the bride of Christ, the church, and him being our redeemer. I want you to write this point down. It's going to pop up on your screen, but write it down so that you can come back and, and revisit this thought. If the church is the bride, then intercession is the language by which we communicate with our redeemer. That's a long point, so I'm going to say it again, and I want to kind of spend some time breaking it down. If the church, us, is the bride then intercession is the language by which we communicate with our Redeemer. I could not imagine going through any relationship where there was not communication. Oftentimes people are communicating, but if they're on different planes and if it is by different means, that communication is lost. But if we study the life of Jesus as he walked the earth, it is very clear that prayer and intercession is the example that he laid out 
to teach us how to speak to someone when you're in union with them. We see Jesus pray in the Bible all the time. And if you're not careful, you might think that Jesus is just praying to himself or talking to himself. But no, Jesus was talking to someone. He was consulting with the father every time he got away and the disciples would ask where he was and he would describe him being in prayer. It did not make sense to the disciples. And what I believe was happening was Jesus was setting the example of what it looked like to communicate with the person you're in union with. I want to read you another piece of scripture. <clears throat> In Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 13, the Bible says, Now during those days, and those days were the days before Jesus entered into ministry, he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. That, that scripture stuck out to me because what I realized is that Jesus seemingly didn't make any decisions without first consulting the one that he was in union with. There goes that language, that communication again. I'll give you another example. It was a little scary when I read this story because um, my mom is half black, half Puerto Rican, and whichever half of those you choose is probably not good in the department of attitude. Um, but I read this story and I thought about my own mom, and I don't know how Jesus uh, made it to the cross after this. But in John chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 4, we see the first miracle that Jesus ever performed. And the Bible describes that it was at a wedding and at this wedding the wine ran out and check this out on the third day a wedding took place in Cana in, in Galilee Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding it was a party when the wine was gone Jesus's mother said to him they have no more wine and Jesus understanding what that meant I think any son knows what that means when your mom says something to you it's not a question she just says something and she expects that you're gonna tend to it right um, it's kind of like my mom would call while she was at work when I was younger and go the chicken is not out of the freezer I knew that that meant that I ought to take the chicken out of the freezer it was not a question it was a demand and in the same way it was not a question to Jesus when his mom goes there's no wine and I know what you can do, so do what you do. And ultimately, Jesus winds up performing his first miracle. He turns water into wine. It's this great thing. But before that happened, listen to what Jesus says back to his mother. Again, not sure how he lived through this. Uh, in verse 4, he says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. There was a commitment. There was a, there was a loyalty to the union that Jesus was in. He knew that if it were not by the word of his father that it should not be done yet. And he knew that because he was constantly in prayer. He was constantly in union with the one he was in covenant with. He knew who sent him and he knew who he ought to be speaking to before anything was done. Uh, when you look in the, in the gospels and you see that Jesus multiplied the two fish and the five loaves and fed thousands of people, you'll notice that first he thanked the father. He acknowledged the father, the one that he was in union with. When he, when he taught the disciples how to pray before departing from us in his physical being, he taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And we know that that prayer begins, Our Father. I don't think that it was by accident that Jesus was constantly laying the example out of, hey, when you're in union with someone, there is a communication. In fact, there is a language that is necessary in order for anything to be a solid in that unit. And I'm going to tell you why. This is my second point. I want you to write this down. Because intercession is the way that we communicate in a union. For this reason, Jesus spent his time on earth teaching us how to do it. 
Jesus wanted to be sure because he knew at a certain point it was revealed to him what he came to earth to do. He knew that he would need to bear the cross. He knew that he would go away for a while. And then at the hour that he would return, he would come back to us. But because he knew that we would be away from him, but we would also be his bride, he wanted to make sure that we understood the language of communication that is necessary to be bonded in the union that is us and Christ our Redeemer. I want to read you another piece of scripture. This time it's in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Um, and actually, I won't read it to you. I'll describe it to you. What's happening in this chapter is uh, Jesus is in the garden before he's going to be captured and, and then crucified. And once again, you guessed it, he's praying to the Father. He's engaging in this communication, this language they've decided is the way they will communicate in this union. And the, the Bible describes that Jesus is sorrowful and troubled. It describes that when he goes to pray to God, asking if he would take the cup away, if there was another way to redeem the earth, that he falls to his face and he prays. And most noticeably, that Jesus prays for the same thing three times. I don't know about you, but this sounds like, this sounds like a picture of me uh, when I'm sick with the flu and I'm talking to my wife and it's like, please, will you bring me medicine? Will you bring me rations? Just dramatic and transparent and vulnerable. And I would like to say that that is not something that I came up with or something that I've just decided to do because I, I, I thought it was a good idea. I think it is the example that we get from Jesus, that language, that communication of prayer. There's a vulnerability, there's a transparency. It's passionate, it's dramatic. It's so funny, when I think about my first date with my wife, it was very stoic, very well put together, you know, fix a tie and, hey, well, where would you like to go this evening? Oh, I think that I might dine on those things as well. And now that we're married, we're seven years, and I'm like, yo, what you wanna eat? I'm hungry, DoorDash. And it's, there's this looseness that comes when you practice that communication in that language that is so decided for that union. And I think that from, from, the, beginning of his, from the beginning of his ministry to when we find Jesus, almost at the end of what he was sent to do in this garden, there is a looseness that we see, a passion, a drama, vulnerability, transparency that is necessary for a union so strong. I think that the same could be said about us in all of the relationships that we communicate in, but most specifically as the church, as Christ's bride, when we communicate in that language, it ought to be loose. It ought to be dramatic and passionate and sensual because those are the beings that God made us to be. If intercession is the way we communicate in this union, then it ought to be often with passion and in a state of complete transparency. I would beg that you would consider that if that is not the way you pray, if there's not a looseness, if there's not a coming undone, when you speak this special language of intercession with the one we are in union with, that there is a looseness you ought to pray about that you might become undone, that you might consider the environments you pray in. Maybe there's a prayer closet you ought to create, a space where you can come undone, where that wall can come down and you can invite God into the spaces that you might think are too much for him to understand or maybe deal with. I want you to read that chapter in Matthew and look at the words that the writer uses to describe the state that Jesus was in. It was very messy. It was not neat, but it was the language of intercession that is required in such a union. In that same book of Matthew in chapter seven, um, there's a scripture and Jesus is speaking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does my will of the Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, we have not have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I, Jesus, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I think that what Jesus is describing is that when he comes back for his bride, in the most straightforward of ways, he's saying that it's possible to be a bad bride, uh, a bride that is not desired because of that lack of communication, that lack of closeness, that lack of connection because of that lack of language used. Intercession. If intercession is the way we communicate in a union, then I would suggest to you that it is a requirement, not a suggestion. Allow me to elaborate. There's a story in the Bible in Luke chapter 10 about two sisters, Mary and Martha. They invite Jesus to his home. They want to have him over for dinner. Martha is a, a sister that they describe. She was busy with chores around the house. And then they describe uh, Mary, a sister who found herself at the feet of Jesus. And what Jesus says is that Mary chose the wiser, the wiser thing. Mary understood that although there are many things that we could be busy with, and rightfully so, we could make ourselves so busy that we miss time in our union. We, we take away from communicating in that language that has been so appointed to a union so strong. Hope Brooklyn, as I begin to wrap up this message, this is what I want to ask. I want to ask that we not be a, a bride that is just busy, but a bride that communicates in the love language that is desired by our Redeemer, intercession. If intercession means to stand in the gap for, to give petition for, to negotiate and bargain on behalf of, we cannot master that if we don't first practice that language with the one we are in union with. I'll give you an example. My wife was born in the Dominican Republic, and she came over uh, when she was three, year, three years old. And so on the topic of Redeemer, every chance that I get, I joke and say that I redeemed her and made her a citizen. That's not true. She was a citizen years ago. But she speaks fluent Spanish. It was her first language. It is her first language. And oftentimes, we'll encounter someone on the street who needs our help, and they're not English-speaking, they're Spanish-speaking, and I get so excited. I get so, I get jittery, and I'm like, babe, this is your moment. This is your moment to shine. Speak the language. Do that thing where you solve the issue because you understand the language. And usually, my wife is so great at it, but for the first 10 seconds, I can kind of see her brain doing this weird thing where it needs to kind of readjust to speaking Spanish. And I ask her all the time, why, why is it that like before you get into full fluent conversation with the Spanish speaking person, why do you do this weird thing where it looks like you're calibrating or that, that spin wheel of death that happens on our laptop? And she says, Greg, it's because you speak English and the kids speak English. And when I'm not speaking Spanish often, it takes me a little while to kind of get back into the mood of speaking that language. Hope Brooklyn, I want to say to you, to us, that if we are not interceding often, we begin to fall out of that connection, much like the connection I just described with my wife. And eventually, she gets it right, but more often than not, when she spends long periods of time not communicating in that designated language, it takes a little bit longer and longer each time to just get those words clicking again and get comfortable again. The danger here, Hope Brooklyn, is that we will become a church that is awesome at doing but we seldom intercede. 
You know, I look at the world around us. I look at the headlines. I look at what happens when we scroll social media. And it's not joyful. And it's not a happy picture. And it's not something that we ought to get excited about. But I wonder, Hope Brooklyn, if when we see those headlines, if when we see the examples in the world around us, if we might not get excited the way I do when I see my wife have an opportunity to speak the language that I know she knows so well, Hope Brooklyn, when we begin to encounter the evils of this world, when we hear stories about people who, who need us to stand in the gap, to petition for, to be peacemakers, I wonder if there would be an excitement about us that would rile up inside of us and say, this is my moment. This is the time for me to speak the language that I know so well that will bring change to this situation. Hope, Brooklyn, I want to pray, and in a moment, we will come to the Lord's table together and we will have communion. And the Bible is clear that if you're not already, already in union with Christ, that this is not something you ought to take part in. But I first want to pray for two groups of people. The first being someone who may say, Greg, I, I was fluent in intercession. I was someone who prayed often. I know the language. I know the faith. And unfortunately, I've spent some time away from the, the language, away from the connection, not practicing in that union, not prioritizing that communication. Then I want to pray for you. I want to pray for a recalibration in your life, that God would bring change to your heart and to your mind and that you would understand that it's so easy to enter back in. But if this is your first time hearing about this Jesus, I wanna tell you very quickly that we Christians believe that Jesus was sent from God the Father to die as an atonement for our sins, uh, for sins that he did not commit, that he would be a sacrifice that would bring a closeness back to the Father and his creation once more. And that story is so long and it's so filled with so many things. But the most important part is that if you should so believe in that, that there will be everlasting life for you. And I want to pray for you. If that's a decision you want to make, maybe you've heard a, a version of that story before. Maybe this is the first time that you're hearing it. I want to invite you into relationship with Jesus. I won't be there, but I'll be on the side interceding for you because I love you. Hope Brooklyn loves you. And right now we have a staff that's ready to pray with you. If that's something that you should so desire, you could email our prayer team at prayer at hopebrooklyn.com. We want to intercede for you. We want to stand in the gap for you and with you. We want to cover you. We want to give petition to God for you because that is what love is. That is what it looks like to be in union with the Father. Let's pray. God, I thank you once again that you call us to be your bride. I thank you for the language of intercession that you've given us that we might connect with you often, daily, about almost anything and everything, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would go and meet any person right now, be it new believer or someone who's believed before, would you go and bring a newness? Would you bring the mind of Christ and would you bring relationship? Bring relationship, God, that we might bask in the revelation that is union with you, that is love from you that you would invite us into this union. God, we thank you this morning. We are a hopeful bride. We await your return, but should you tarry, God, uh, we promise to stand in the gap, to be petitioners, to be peacemakers, oh God, on behalf of the people who live with us, among us, and around us. We thank you again, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.